Hosea chapter 5, verse 1, and it reads as follows. Hear ye this, O priests, and hearken ye, house of Israel, and give ye ear, O house of the king, for judgment is toward you, because ye have been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me now. O Ephraim, thou committest, committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredom is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord, and the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them, and they shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. All right, so those are the verses we'll start off with today. Let's bow forward a prayer before we get into today's lesson. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to study, that we have it to learn from, to educate us, to inspire us, to guide us. We're so thankful that we have this. Lord, be with me now as I try to teach something from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we did a little bit of a recap to see where we were in Hosea at the end of the year, right? And we had seen that we had gone through uh, the first section, if so to speak, right? The first section was chapters 1 to 3. In chapters 1 to 3, it was really a story, a story-based portion of this book. And the story was the story of Hosea and Gomer. And we talked about how that was very parallel to the relationship between God and Israel, Right? In the same way, Gomer was the unfaithful wife, Israel was the unfaithful country. And we went in detail about that and the comparisons and the uh, analogies and so on. Then chapter 4 onward, we're into what I'm referring to as kind of the section 2, the second part of this book, where we get into what is Hosea's warnings, his prophecies, basically, right? This is supposed to be a prophetic book. So this is the more traditional kind of uh, uh, prophet part of the book of Hosea. And chapter 4 kind of set the table for the tone of the rest of this book. Chapter 4, we're setting the table because that's where the initial accusations came, right? It's kind of like laying it out there like, hey, this is the situation. This is what's going wrong, Right? And we remember when we studied chapter 4, there was a whole laundry list of sin that Israel was committing, right? They're doing everything wrong. They were being reminded. It was, it was also from the top down, right? It wasn't just some people, even up to the priests, right? Everyone had lost their way. And that was kind of chapter 4. Chapter 4 uh, kind of explaining this is what, you know, this is what you guys are screwing up on. This is what is going wrong. So now we transition into chapter 5 today to see what's written there in chapter 5. What can we gain insight more about Israel's situation and what does that mean for our situation today? And how is that similar or not? We see in chapter 5 now we're taking a much larger global view of Israel and Israel's sin, right? And how they've kind of messed up, right? In general, in general, right? It says that Israel is, has been like a snare. A snare. You guys know what a snare is, hopefully, right? A snare is kind of like a trap, right? They've entrapped their country, right? They've been a negative influence in that way, a negative influence, right? A snare on Mizpah, 
and, uh, and a net spread upon Tabor, right? They've influenced their, this area for the worst, right? Even though, in verse 2, it says God has rebuked them, right? God's told them, hey, cut this out. You're doing the wrong thing. He has told them in the past. It has not mattered, right? Continuing continually, verse number 3, it says they continue to commit whoredom, right? And Israel is defiled, defiled. The country is all defiled. They've all been given into sin, given into boredom, idolatry, whatever you want. We talked about in chapter 4 in detail, right? That kind of stuff. That's what this nation had become like. How much so? How much so? Verse number 4, we'll look at a little bit more carefully. It says, they will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. They will not frame their doings. What does that mean? Frame, frame. A frame we talk about like a frame of mind, uh, 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 you know, the, the expressions of the word frame in it. Frame is kind of like uh, your position, right? Position. And uh, when you're talking about here how Israel will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. And they're not positioning what they're doing, right, to be toward God's direction, Right? They're not giving themselves to God and saying, oh, we're going to follow you, God. Right? That's not what they were doing. Right? Instead, what does it say in verse 4? It says, they not, instead of turning unto God, they follow the spirit of whoredoms. Right? And so much so that they act as if they did not even know God. Okay? And so that really encapsulates the depth of their problems. So we talked previously just about the random examples, right? Like, oh, they were lying, and they were killing, they were stealing, and they were doing whatever, right? They're doing all this stuff. But just in the general, broader sense, they were not following God. They were not following God at all. They were not framing their actions, right? They're not taking their actions in the way that they ought to know, right? These were children of Israel. They ought to know God. They ought to know what God taught, you know, even from childhood, they ought to know. But they didn't. They chose this conscious choice not to. Now, why is this? There could be two possibilities, right, that I think. And so one of them we talked about, I think, in the past, right? And one of the first possibilities is that, oh, they choose not to follow God because they don't like it. That's a simple answer, right? They were having fun doing whatever it is they were doing following this other path, right? The path of whoredoms, as it says over here, right? That's what it was, right? The spirit of whoredoms is in their midst. That spirit of sin was just so much better feeling than was the feeling of just continuing on and doing what God wants and following God's uh, ways and so on and so forth. You know, I, was, I uh, recently heard a speaker <coughs> Uh, you know, we have to, you know, as attorneys, we have to take these, like, seminars, education semin educational seminars to keep our license, right? And so one of those guys I was listening to recently, he was talking about substance abuse, right? He's an addiction specialist. He's an addiction specialist and addiction uh, recovery person himself, right? That he had been, you know, alcoholic, drug user, all these things in the past, right? And he was kind of talking about how you know, there's so many attorneys that are, you know, they're addicted to drugs and 
and alcohol and all this stuff. And he's talking about why, right? He says, why? Because you figure all these people, they went, they went to law school, they're smart people, these are not like, you know, these like dumb homeless men on the corner, right? They should know better. How, how can they fall into this? And so he's kind of explaining from his experience as an addiction specialist, how do people get wrapped up in stuff like this? They get wrapped into it primarily because it makes them feel good, right? It makes them feel so good that it scrambles the way people think, right? It scrambles the way people think. He says, look, he's dealt with people his whole life now, now that he does this as a job professionally, right? Dealt, dealt with people that are, you know, like alcoholics and drug users. And the truth is, he says, no one, when they take that first drink of alcohol, when they take that first drugs or whatever, say that, oh, I really like the taste of whatever it is, right? Say, oh, this beer, it tastes so good. I want to drink another beer. It tastes really good, right? He says, most people, when they taste beer the first time, they say, oh, it's bitter, has a weird taste. I never tasted it before, whatever. You know, you know, it's different. You know, same thing with like cigarettes, right? Most people, when they first smoke their first cigarettes, he says, oh, it's horrible. It seems like they're coughing and it's that smoke in their, their lungs, right? It's really like, you know, it's really not the most enjoyable experience from that point of view. This is why do people do it? He says because it changes the way they feel, right? Because they're drugs, right? When you drink smoke cigarettes, that's nicotine, right? When you drink beer, there's alcohol. It alters the way you feel. And because you've never done it before, it makes you feel like totally different, totally changed. And it's like, whoa, it's like a new experience, right? And you get that little buzz, and it makes you feel like a 100. That was his word, right? It makes you like a 100. You never felt this before, right? And so like, whoa, that's why people do it again, right? It's not because, oh, I love the taste of beer or whatever, right? No, it's because, hey, it made me feel like a 100 that time I drank it. It made me feel good. It changed the way I think, changed the way I feel. And so I want to try to do that again, right? I felt good that time. I want to go feel good again. And so people go out and they do it again. And they try to feel good again. And they keep doing it, right? But as you know with anything, right? when you get exposed to the same thing over and over, what happens? Your sense, of, uh, your sense of excitement over that thing dulls, right? Maybe the first time you did it, it was a 100. After the 10th time of you going out and drinking this one beer, you only hit a 50 or whatever, right? There's only a 50 on your excitement level that I did this. So how do people compensate? Well, they say, well, if one beer is 50, I can drink two beers, and I got 100 again, right? And so that's how people get down this path, right? So even this guy, who himself, he was sharing about how he was like the valedictorian of his high school class and all this stuff, and super smart, and had his own law firm once upon a time, that he went down that same path. Then it was the drinks, and that wasn't good enough. So then it was the drugs. And at some point, the drugs wasn't cutting it. And then he had to go do the intravenous drugs, and then it felt better for him, whatever. That's the way how people fall into the wrong path, this, you know? Even smart people, even people that ought to know better, right? That's according from the addiction specialist himself, according to the guy that fell into this trap himself, right? And that's why how Israel fell into the same trap. They knew better. But I bet you, I bet you that they had lived their lives following God, doing the same thing over and over again. Then someone says, hey, follow this other God and try this different thing, right? Oh, all of a sudden they try this different thing and it's a new feeling. It's different. Right? Oh, their worship is different. Oh, they don't have this rule. We can violate this rule that God had in place, right? They don't have rules on, you know, sexual sin. Go do all the sexual sin you want. Oh, it makes me feel good now. Oh, I like this a lot better, right? 
right? Oh, this is Baal. Baal, one of their ceremonies is we have orgy, drunken orgies. Oh, that sounds interesting. I want to try that out. Oh, it felt good. I want to go do that again, right? And of course, those are things of back in 2,000 years ago that was interesting to them. But isn't it true the same for us 2,000 years later? That whatever it is that drives away from God, we know initially, hey, the reason it tempts us, the reason it's a temptation, is because it does make us feel good, right? It wouldn't be much of a temptation if it was bad, right? You sin, and then instantly something horrible happens to you. You die or whatever immediately. You'd never do it. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works with stuff like these addictions that this guy is talking about. He says, all these things, they kill you, right? These are all killing, drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. They kill you. But the problem is, they kill you slowly. They kill you a little bit at a time. So you don't notice it, right? And that's how we fall down the wrong path all the time. We don't frame our actions toward God because we realize that, hey, it feels like it's fine. We don't realize this is killing us, literally killing us. When we turn away from God, it's the same thing. It's literally killing us. It's sending us on the path of damnation. But we don't notice it because the reaction is not immediate. It's not immediate. So that's one reason I think people turned away from God back then. And sad to say, it's one of the reasons people turn away from God today, right? Even people who are Christians, even people who ought to know better, they fall into this temptation, they fall into sin because, hey, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel something different. Well, we know in the long run also is the wrong path. I think the other reason why people who, as it says in the Bible here, are consumed pretty much by the spirit of boredom and they turn away from God and they don't turn back to God, even though they know it's the right way, is kind of an opposite reason. An opposite reason why people might do this, not, not do this and not act in the right way is because they're given, they, because they feel ashamed. They feel ashamed, right? They've given themselves over to sin and they figured, oh, there's no turning back now. There's no turning back now. And it's really sad when you hear it from people who are not even Christians, right? They're not even Christians, and that's the attitude that they had about their lives, right? I don't know if this, you've experienced this or not or talked to other people or not, but there's been times when I invited some guy and say, oh, you know, you should come to our church and go out to our fellowship night, right? Oh, it's our uh, barbecue or pizza night or whatever it is, right? Come out to our church. We're having an event. And the reaction from some of these people, or one of these guys I knew, is like, kind of like, oh, church. Oh, no way. I can, I can never set foot in a church, right? They would kick me out right away. I'm too bad. I'm too evil, right? Don't, don't, I can't associate with church, right? No way, right? He says, you know, I'm, I'm like this bad guy. Church, that's not for me. No way, right? That's the attitude that some of these people have. This guy I know he had, right? That, oh, that church, that's for one type of people. I'm not that type of people. Therefore, I don't go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to know about it. Right? I just assume that, oh, it's for a certain type of person, it's not for me. Now, of course, we all here know that church is for everybody, right? God is for everyone because he's the forgiver of sin, no matter what you do, what you have done, even what you will do. God forgives sin, and God wants everyone to be his child, right? But people get the attitude that, oh, if I've done this bad thing, therefore, I don't think I'm worthy. I'm not worthy to go seek out God. I don't want to be in God's presence. I'm going to hide out, right? And I know this other older guy, older Chinese guy, who had the same type of attitude, right? That his whole life, he's saying like, oh, what are the two things I love to do the most, right? 
like many older Chinese folks, right? What they like to do? I like to go gambling, right? And I like to go drinking, right? Usually combination of the two, right? You know, combination of the two. And so his whole life, that's how he lived his life, right? When you want to have fun, what are you going to do? Well, I go gambling, right? I go play mahjong, I go do play cards or whatever, a gambler or whatever. When you're gambling, you go have fun and you go drink your air drink and this and that, right? That was his life, right? And he never thought, oh, go to church or whatever. I can't go to church because I would never want to give up gambling. That's my hobby, right? I know about Christians. They don't gamble. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go and uh, live my life, right? Well, strange as it may be, this guy, at some point later in his life, I found out someone invited him to church, and he actually got saved. And it was shocking, right? So I wanted to go talk to this guy. He's like, oh, He's just like, whoa, you know, all these years, you never had any interest in church or whatever. What made you interested in church or whatever? And you got saved and everything. I'm going to church now. What, what happened? And it's like, oh, you know, I went to church, and people talked to me, and they explained to me. And I finally realized this, that guess what? That in order that to get saved, you don't have to stop gambling, and you don't have to stop uh, drinking. You have to get, you know, they, they accepted me for who I am at this church, right? That, oh... I was, you know, doing all this stuff, and they explained to me, oh, God forgives everything. It doesn't matter what you do. And, you know, it just made me feel so good to know that I was in a community that loved me, accept me, even though, you know, whatever I did before in the past, right? And so he got saved. So I asked him at the time, hey, too, so are you still drinking and gambling? And he says, yeah, I still am, right? Well, that was then, right? But strange thing, strange thing, right? So that was then. He had just gotten saved. He had just started going to church and stuff. You see this guy a couple years later, though. And then you see him you know, at parties or whatever, right? And you talk to him and you say, oh, you see him at the party. You did at the party. He's always drinking, right? This is a party, right? This is your time to drink or whatever and have fun. And you notice that, hey, this guy's not drinking very much anymore, if at all, right? And you talk to him and he might give you some line about, oh, I'm old now or whatever, right? I am old. But you can see, like, hey, there's a difference. This guy used to be big on this. I drink all the time. Now it's like, oh. You don't seem to drink very much at all, if at all, at these parties and stuff. I don't know in his personal life if he still drinks very much or not, but at least from my observation, hey, there's been a change there, isn't there? And then you ask him, hey, are you still gambling all the time or whatever? And it's like, no, 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 I don't gamble anymore. It's like too, too much, too, too much to go to Reno and this and that. I don't want to do it anymore, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this guy who used to say that, hey, my whole life is my, this is my entertainment. I do this all the time, right? I, I, I got to go gamble. I got to go play mahjong and this and that. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, he doesn't he didn't tell me explicitly, right? But I can tell my observation, the fact that, hey, this guy doesn't seem to care that much about, oh, do I gamble all the time anymore? Do I go and, uh, and drink all the time anymore? No, there's a change in his life. What's the change? Change that he has God in his life whether he admits it or not, right? Whether, you know, whether he said it or not, I can tell from my observation. I think that's the way we get to the right path, the right path. The problem is a lot of people, as we saw from the first example, they take the opposite attitude, the, 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 the wrong attitude, right? Rather than getting the right path. When you get on the right path, your behavior automatically, just from being around God, being around Christians, being around that environment, being in a relationship with God, starts dragging you toward the way you ought to be. When you just try to avoid it, when you're like the first type of person, right, where your frame of mind 
It's not toward God at all. It's toward hiding from God, getting away from God. It's almost guaranteed that you'd go in the other direction, that you would continue on whatever path you are on, right? And so that was Israel's problem. Israel's problem was that they had chosen that path, the path away from God, and they kept following it, right? doesn't matter what their motivation is, whether they liked it a lot, whether they're too ashamed to turn back, whatever it is, they're going the wrong way. How wrong were they going? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6 before we wrap up here today. It says, in the pride of Israel, right, <clears throat> shall testify to his face, and Israel and Ephraim shall fall, fall in their iniquity, right? This goes to the historical things, right? The historical things that this will lead to their downfall. And Judah, right? God's making, reminding us, remember this is the two, two kingdoms period, right? That's not just Israel, Judah also shall fall with them. Right? That's how bad it's going to get that they keep following this path. Remember, this is the path that leads to destruction. Even if you don't realize it at the time, it's the path that leads to destruction. It shall be how bad? Verse 6, they shall go with their flocks and with their herds and seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath to draw on himself from him. Now you might want to ask, verse 6, Norm, isn't this kind of bit of contradictory? Isn't this bit of contradictory? It says, verse 6, they do what? The people come back and they seek the Lord. You just said that, hey... They were not seeking the Lord. Now it's saying that they seek the Lord and God withdraws himself. How is that fair? They're trying to go on the right path. God withdraws himself from there. Isn't that unfair? Isn't this wrong? Let's look at it carefully and figure out why this is actually correct, that God is a just God and God is on the right path still. It says these people, these are the same people we're talking about in verse 4 now, not different people. Not like oh, a different set of people. It's the same people. The same people that had given themselves over to whoredoms. The same people that acted as if they have not known the Lord when they faced all these problems. When Israel falls and Judah falls. They might come to God, right? They might all of a sudden come because things are going badly. And they might come to God. But at that point, God had already withdrawn himself. Meaning, there's no change in these people. What changed was that Israel fell. Judah fell. They didn't do anything different. They just cried out randomly with no other option or no other hope and said, see if this works. This would be like, if you imagine the stereotypical movie, right? The disaster movie. The ship is sinking, right? And then some guy randomly starts praying to God and says, God, help me. I don't want to die. Now, this person was like Israel in the story, right? They'd be the type of person that never worshipped God, that never knew anything about God, that acted as if they didn't know God. Now, let me ask you, this person who acted like they didn't know God, that had sinned their whole lives, that acted as if they didn't know who God even was, in that moment, while the ship is sinking, when they randomly call out to God, okay, God, help me now, you think God is likely to answer their prayers? The answer is no. Because their action, their action is largely symbolic. It's not a real action. When we're talking about taking that step, that step toward God, doing what God wants and following what God wants, it's talking about a tangible action to get on that step. When I talked about that guy who was gambling and drinking, he took that first step by doing what? By accepting Jesus Christ in his heart. That was a big change in his life. He took that second step by going to church, 
right? That was a change in life. That's something tangible. That's not just saying, oh, God help me, or God, I'm in trouble now. Help me out. That's what Israel and Judah did in their hour of need. They had been doing, okay, sin, 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 sin all day long. Now all of a sudden, oh, there's a consequence for sin? Oh, God, uh, help me. Well, there was not much reason to help them because they they had continued, continued on that wrong path. Still, still, still. And that's why God withdrew from these people, right? I think people today, Christians fall into this trap too. When they get down the wrong path and live in their own life and do other things. And I see this really commonly, not maybe among you know, our people, but among people that you know, grew up in the church, right? They come from a church family. If you know people that come from like the Midwest or whatever, right? Oh, they, they take kind of God things, God stuff for granted, right? That, oh, church is this thing I just do, right? Parents made me go. I did this when I was a kid. Now I'm old. I do my own thing, right? And suddenly later in life, they might feel like they want to seek out God or whatever, right? But they haven't had that relationship with God since forever, because they never had that heart, right? They never took this real action. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're not giving themselves to God. Like this one pastor I heard speaking about, right? Like talk about this young guy in his church, right? He says like, oh, you know, when I grew up, my parents made me go to the Baptist church. And then I quit that. I didn't like it. And later on, <clears throat> people told me to believe in God and all this stuff. So I went to the Presbyterian church, right? And I didn't like it there. And then I went to the Methodist church, right? And then I went to the Episcopal church. And then I went to this church and that church. And I've been to so many churches, I figure it's all fake and phony. I don't believe anymore. I give up. And so the pastor told this kid, he says, look, it's not the problem of the church. The problem is with you, right? Look at your attitude. Look at your heart. Are you really seeking God? Or are you just kind of bouncing around just as you can say, well, I tried this. I tried that so you can tell your parents that, hey, look, I went to all this church. I didn't like it. End of story, right? That guy, you know, that pastor is trying to tell that guy in his congregation, try to examine his heart and say, are you really, are you really going on God's path? Or are you just doing whatever you want? And, you know, trying to say, oh, saying, oh, I'm calling to God. Now it's like these people in the Bible here, right? Oh, I can call to God when I feel like, right? Without any action to back it up. That's what, kind of what that guy is doing. That's how some people today, some Christians, they get lost, right? They, they do their own thing, live their own life, and they think that magically, randomly one day, I, I can call on God when I need him out of nowhere, right? No. A relationship with God is just that, a relationship. It's a relationship, a thing that takes time, effort, energy. You guys all know that cultivate relationships with your family, your friends, your parents, your children, all this kind of stuff. One of the largest ingredients in cultivating that relationship is time. Time. Do we spend our time with God? The truth is, Israel and Judah back then, they didn't spend their time with God. They didn't spend their time doing God's things. They wanted to do their own thing, and that's what led to their destruction. Can we learn the lesson from them? That we invest our time more wisely. That we frame our actions toward the things of God and not toward the things of the world or self-satisfaction. No, we make it so that we're following, following the right path so that when we, have God, we know we have God on our side. Maybe we're out of time. We want to continue more with chapter 5 and more about 
what God says here about Israel and Judah, but right now we're out of time, so let's bow forward to prayer. Dear God, thank you for our continued study of the book of Hosea, talking about how children of Israel really fell away from you, got down the wrong path. Lord, we want to learn from that lesson, not go down the wrong path in our lives. There's a lot of times where we might feel like, yeah, we're going to... You know, we're going to do this thing to make us feel better now, or maybe we do this thing and make us really bad now. And for either reason, we feel ashamed to turn to you and come to you. But Lord, we know that that's the most important thing, that we have you, that we have you as our God, that we have you as our comforter, as our guidance, and as our Heavenly Father, Lord. We thank you that you're always there for us. We ask that you be with us in this new year as we, uh, you know, continue to live our lives, to struggle here on earth. But, Lord, we know we have our heavenly reward one day waiting for us. I'm going to pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.